Kia ora, I'm Georgia. I'm Catherine. And you're listening to... Pinpod! Welcome to this week's episode of Parent Pod. This is our uh, second episode this year, um, and we have a great guest lined up for this week. But before we get into that, Georgia, how are you? How are things? Good. Yeah, we have had a lovely day, morning at the beach and afternoon at the pool. So, the dream, right? Yeah, really good. Do you want to share... um, your pool story. <laughs> okay, to be fair, I'm so surprised we've got like two and a half years without this happening. But yeah, Flo, Flo pooed in the pool. Not in the Co-brown. pool. Brown. She pooed while she was in the pool. It didn't go in the pool. Well, it probably did, but she had a swim nappy on. But they like, I mean, they contain it, but it was like all up her tog. So it was the, it cut oh. the swim short. And she was Gosh. very gutted. Like, she was loving it. Oh, Flo. Oh, and then we had to kind of, like, bribe Harry to get out. So we had this, like, oh. lovely evening planned. But it's okay. It was still it was still really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good, just, on, good on you for not um, panicking. It's so – Code Brown's really stressful. <laughs> yeah, it was stressful. I definitely probably made it look obvious. Like, I carried her away from my body, like, out. <laughs> waddled her back to our um, bags but I mean what can you do what can you like it honestly I was thinking the other day when we went to the pool um because Hugh just looked at me and said I'm doing a wee right now like with really (laughs) intense eye contact I was like okay um okay cool but like how gross are pools they they disgusting I now I now realise because I assumed swim nappies contained wee, but they really don't. I remember you telling me that you were like I was holding Hugh or Hector and they had a swim nappy on, and you were like they just peed all down me. Yeah, what's that about? So the like kids' pools must just be absolutely full of wee yeah. and lots of like poo particles. I guess they can't be absorbent because otherwise they just absorb all the water, right? That's such a good point. Yeah. yeah. That, it's so gross. No wonder they always get sick when they go to the swimming pool. Yeah, yeah, true. Oh, well, someone will probably get like pink eye or something from Flo now. So, <laughs> sorry. Sharing the love. <laughs> yeah. But we were saying like we are just loving this summer. We feel like the kids are at such Aww. a good age. We've had like our first summer Harry was – you know, not super, he was like seven months old and I was pregnant. And then last summer, yeah, Flo was four months old. So this summer we feel like they're at such a nice age and we're just really trying to make the most of it. Like I think I've been out to Sumner Beach like, oh, like four times in the last couple of weeks. Oh, that's so it nice. makes me so excited for when you're back and then we can come and visit you and we can we can have beach dates. Yeah, beach day every day. Also, it's such like a easy, low key activity with the kids. All you need is a spade, and they're yeah. at it for hours. 
yeah I lit today I didn't even take that and I was with a friend and I was like oh whoops and she was like here's a shell like dig with the shell and I was like perfect so so good they could just do it for hours oh they yeah they can yeah Um, how are you I just I I've had a couple of people say to me that since the last episode they are really stressed for you (laughs) I know so actually on that my bloody obstetrician denied me a fit to fly letter. Oh, I know. So, what's, <laughs> well, what's when plan? I think like everyone needs an update. Everyone's like, Georgia, stop talking. Let Catherine give us no. an update. Um, I think what was really good about it was that I was there on my own for the appointment. Because, and I was meeting Matt at the boys at the playground afterwards. And I think if he was there, I probably would have cried. But I, I had like, I went, I then went to Kmart and had some time to myself and nice. didn't stress out too much because I was like we really can't afford for me to be stressed so um I'm just gonna go to the GP this week may or may not bring baked goods and um, say so you haven't you haven't got a letter yet I don't have a letter yet but I'm just um not going to give it um any thought at the moment or no. any it's not worth a stress no at the moment i'll leave that can, for another time <laughs> and can you just when when you do get the letter can you just pop it on our instagram so that everyone <laughs> is yes i i will i will definitely pop it up when when my gp gives it to me this week in exchange for some chocolate chip biscuits that I'm going to make. Because you're leaving in like a week, right? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. So it's it's all good. It's all good. It's all um, being um, managed. <laughs> I do, it, it isn't. But I just, I can't, um, I just can't think about it. Do you know what a great distraction has been? Facebook Marketplace selling my stuff. Oh, how, how great is Facebook Marketplace? Well, my my point was actually going to be, oh my gosh, Facebook, Facebook Marketplace is brutal if you're a ah, seller. Ah, right. Because I've never really sold anything on it before. I've only bought ah. stuff, which is quite a pleasant experience, isn't it? Mm. Like yeah, you always feel yeah, like you're getting Tomo, a great deal. Tomo sells so much on there, but yeah, people are probably quite brutal with the prices, aren't they? Oh, it's more the scammers. I just oh, was really? not prepared... Yeah, I don't know if this is a new thing for Facebook Marketplace, but the maybe amount of scammers, thing. maybe it's a Perth thing. I knew yeah, it was dodgy. too small. Everyone knows everyone. You can't get away with doing things like that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that is what it is. But I'll like list something and I'll get like three scammers contact me within 24 hours for like kids stuff. You know, like the classic, oh, okay, yeah, I'll come and pick it up. I'm just on my way. Any chance you could transfer me the money for the fuel and then oh. I'll pay you back when I get there? <laughs> like, Absolutely not. <laughs> and I want to say, who falls for this? Because this yeah. is terrible. But like my mum, I've spoken, she's fallen for these types of things before. Oh. So I think it's just, maybe it's just an older generation thing. But it's been a great distraction from the stress of moving because from real life from real life is dealing with all these scammers on a daily basis. It's, you know, 
I wouldn't say enjoyable, but it's a distraction. At least we can say the next time we talk to you, like the next podcast, you will be back in New Zealand. Um, I will be back in New Zealand. I will be, Georgia. Let's put it out to the universe. I will will be be. back in New Zealand, still pregnant. Yeah. And it's just going to be a breeze. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It'll be fine. I don't even know what to say to you. Oh. No, it'll be it'll be fine. It'll it'll be fine. Um, we'll, I'll sort I'll sort it out somehow. I'll find a way. <laughs> yeah, and you're still feeling okay. Yeah, no, still feeling, still feeling good. Yeah, definitely a lot more tired. Um, but feeling I mean, it's also the fact you're like picking up your house and moving that would add to the tiredness. But yeah, that yeah. Oh, one of the um, Hector as well got stuck at the top of a climbing frame today, and I was like, oh. "I can't, I can't get you down." <laughs> oh. I don't. Really, thankfully, another mum offered to go, but oh, I've realised I've yeah, I know. <laughs> I've definitely reached my limit in terms of like physical capabilities because yeah. he either stays there or you know <laughs> I need some help because I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, I'm just waiting to see if my belly button is going to pop. Actually, did yours? Um, no, I don't. They actually didn't either. Times I don't think not massively. Did yours with the boys? Other boys? No, because do you have an innie? Yeah, yeah. Personal question. Yeah, um, yeah no. I yeah. Do. <laughs> so I feel like some yeah. people's pop really early. Yeah, because you sometimes see pregnant women who've got like. The little like bit sticking out, I guess like a like a nipple almost, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um and and I'm I feel like it's happening now and it's not happened to the previous two. Oh that's exciting. Well then what happens after? Do, do you have an outie forever or does it go back? I guess it goes back in. Mm. Let us know if you had an outie during your pregnancy, let us know if it popped back in. Yeah, it's just something I'd like to be familiar with (laughs) yeah know what you're gonna be working with um so we thought that something that might be useful is that if each episode we just give a little bit of a recommendation so whether that's toys our kids have been loving food that they've actually eaten um Mm, like a days out yeah day out music that they've been enjoying we thought that that would be useful if it's not well hopefully it's useful for someone yeah Um, yeah, Catherine, what, what's your recommendation for this week? Mine is, this is like my recommendation for the past year, I reckon, is um, Kinetics Tiles. Mm. They are just so, so good. We get, and I'm not exaggerating, like hours, plural, of play out of them every single day. They're yeah. just, we got this definitely, so we shipped all of our toys and we kept those. So I think they've obviously got a, renewed life in our house because Mm. it's all there is but it's also highly addictive I think for an adult to do it yeah I felt I actually was watching in my own time YouTube videos of (laughs) what people can make with kinetic styles like it's a challenge the other day um and now we try and make something every day that we see someone else has made it's they're so great and they're great for like mindful play I think for the kids yeah I I can definitely endorse your recommendation Harry Mm. and Flo love them and Tomo probably more out of anyone 
Um, so I'm Classic gonna, engineer. <laughs> yeah, yes, true. I'm <laughs> going to go and tell him to watch YouTube videos and see what he can build. There are some great things on there. Like, yeah, highly recommend. If you've got, you know, if you've got spare time and you're not cool, then it's a great thing to, to do. <laughs> we were laughing, actually, on Christmas Day. We got the kids the ball run um, kinetics <gasps> Yes. Which yes. is great. And mum and I were laughing because at one point Harry and Flo were doing something else and my dad and Tomo were in the playroom playing with the ball run. <laughs> so good uh, it is so, so good uh, they are definitely fantastic. Um, fun for all ages yes yeah <laughs> there's a great um there's actually a great youtube video of someone who's made the ball run and then made a train that like delivers the balls into the carriages oh mm. wow mm. yeah okay, new challenge that will be your weekend can you pop <laughs> on our instagram some um of the creations you come up with Yes, yeah, I will, definitely. So what's your recommendation? Um, Mine is Play-Doh, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen it, but it was a Play-Doh recipe that um, a girl named Kate, your mate, is her Instagram handle. She Uh, shared it. And I've made it with the kids a couple of times, and it's foolproof, and it's the softest Mm. Play-Doh. And I think... Harry especially, the thing that he enjoys the most is the actual making of the Play-Doh and he loves um, adding the colour into it and doing the kneading and stuff. So it's a, a full activity and then obviously you get the Play-Doh at the end of it. So yeah. I'll share a link to um, her page and her recipe because, yeah, it's, it is fantastic and super, super easy. And it just That's a cheap really good. activity. Yeah, definitely. Because once you've got the ingredients, then it's pretty easy to just do again and again and again, isn't it? Yeah. And we we made some oh, before Christmas and we've just kept it in an airtight container and it is still mm. really soft. So nice. Yeah, it's lasted a really, really long time. That's also an addictive activity for adults, I think. It is. It's so therapeutic, isn't it? Like, it's just, yes. Yeah. Love it. And great yes, for all so ages. When I was a new entrance teacher, we used to make Play-Doh for the kids um, and they loved it. Five. And it's it's really cool seeing their imagination. And Harry's at the stage now where it's he's building an ice, like a birthday cake and then wanting to sing happy birthday or making ice cream. Yeah, it's, it's fun. So I'm sure most people have done Play-Doh. But, yeah, if you need a recipe, I'll link that one because it is yeah, definitely. really great. Pop it up there. Yeah, because there's – um, it's hard to find a really good foolproof one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Mm. Great cool. recommendation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you too. On right. to today's episode. Yes, uh, chat with Bronwyn. She um, owns or has the business Beautiful Beginnings, which is an antenatal course mm. here in Christchurch. And she is a midwife and also a primary school teacher. And that's how Catherine and I actually both meet her. So, mm. um, yeah, she's going through different types of births today. It um, mm. goes into ex- lots of depth and it's, yeah, very um, educational. So we hope that you enjoy it. Today we have Bronwyn, founder of Beautiful Beginnings on the podcast. Bronwyn is a registered midwife, registered teacher, and mama to Benny. Bronwyn 
Bronwyn decided to put her two incredible skills of midwifery and teaching together to start up her own antenatal course in Christchurch named Beautiful Beginnings. So Bronwyn, welcome. Could you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and Beautiful Beginnings? Um, Yeah, you kind of cracked it in one really. Um, So yeah, registered midwife um, and started with, had my own as an LMC. So I worked in the community and did that for several years. And then I thought, oh, I need a bit of a break. Um, not having regular weekends off makes it really hard yeah. um, to do the job and still really be able to give everything um, mm. to women um, and look after yourself. And then um, did a bit of traveling, just had a few months off um, and then came back and worked at Crushish Women's. So I worked as a core midwife, um, working on birthing suite and working up a maternity. Um, where I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to have a bit of a break um, and retrain to be a teacher. And I'm mm-hmm. a primary school teacher. Um, and it's when yeah, I meet you, done... Bronwyn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Training, Woo-hoo. teacher training. Um, and still did what was crazy. As I was doing teacher training, I um, was still doing some, like, usually a Friday night shift at Women's. So um, it was quite crazy. Yeah, um, doing crazy. that at the same time. <laughs> Mm, um and then yeah and then I um did teaching and kind of just kind of stepped away from midwifery um as I say it just kind of got burnt out and being like this I can't give what I need to give and um which was good enjoyed um teaching um and then stepped back after a couple of years and uh, did some locum work um and then got pregnant with my son Benny which was just before COVID so yay we were one of the COVID actually yeah got pregnant during COVID so it was a COVID baby um and then um yeah while I was on maternity leave I was like actually I was find it very difficult to kind of sit still I suppose and someone was like to me well why don't you do you know put your two things together um I love teaching um and I love education and really passionate about people knowing all the options Mm. that are available to them um to make the right call for them and I think that's really important um Mm. because my experiences and what goes on for me will be different to every other person you know you come into birth or pregnancy and you know you might have you know you've got your own beliefs with things and I think that's really crucial to honor that and not be like one size fits all um and so yeah Yeah. that's kind of the thing with beautiful beginnings really um I kind of I like to say I don't really Disney it up um so I will kind of go in detail about you know this is what can happen and these are your pros and cons and why you might want to do this and you know Mm -hmm. that type of stuff and hope that women um, you know, women and partners um, are able to make the right choices for them. Um, yeah, so, and it's great. I really, yeah, and I really enjoy doing my antenatal classes. So I have worked with some, oh, pretty much all of them are absolutely fantastic um, couples. Um, and, you know, some people birth before they do classes, but they still join in um, for the postnatal stuff. So I do um, community catch-ups, which are free to people who have done my oh, courses. Nice. Um, there's two sessions a month usually, and one has like a guest speaker. So I've had like lactation consultant, I've had like a dietitian. Mm. So um, like a, in looking at um, babies starting their solids, you know, because that's like a oh, yeah. whew, that's like a new thing, um, yeah. like a personal trainer kind of thing. So um, yeah, and so it's been really cool having um, tapping into like the knowledge within Christchurch, yeah. um, and those fabulous people do it for free, or oh, and pelvic floor physios and things. So um, wow. and it's just a, yeah, it's really cool. So in those catch-ups we can have 
people I had one person who came with a four-day-old baby and I'm like what are you doing you crazy people get back into bed (laughs) yeah exactly um and then you know and I'll have people who you know I had some who've just had their babies who just turned one um Mm. they're some of my original people and that's really special it's just amazing to have that journey and that shared knowledge that goes on in those catch-ups so yeah because I think sometimes you have your baby and it can be a bit like a what now especially if you don't have people having babies around your that village yeah. so um yeah. yeah that's a that's a, a part that's kind of on the side so yeah so beautiful beginnings like I say came around um just so people had an idea of, of um yeah have as much insight as possible um and feel informed to make the right decisions for them really um in mm. a way that's not too scary a bit of humor um because all good teachers have to have humor in the classroom um mm. yeah so that's kind of a bit about me Oh, oh yeah, that's really amazing. What a great combo, midwife, midwife and teacher. Yeah. yeah, well, adults are much like children <laughs> when you teach them. You know, you're there and you're like, oh, I know what you'd have been like in the classroom. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. that's and so true. true. You. Yeah. You know, um, I have to do a wait and I just wait you know I haven't been tempted to do the like the whole uh, hands on heads crossing the arms kind of thing yet but um, I'm sure that'll happen one day oh, um, oh yeah, yeah. classic teacher clap yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> haven't pulled that one out either mm. <laughs> yeah um so Bronwyn you're going to chat to us today about birth aren't you and kind of different types mm. of birth so what are some things to consider when we're thinking about what type of birth we would like? Um, how much is up to us and how much is determined by other factors? Yeah, it's a really big one. And, you know, some people, even before they get pregnant, they'll think about birth and kind of they'll either be like slightly terrified, to be perfectly honest. You know, they're like, oh, my God, you know, this will happen. Um, or they're really yeah. excited. Mm-hmm. And then, and um and it's, you know, it's a really big thing, you know, like birth is becomes this massive thing. And I think so a lot of it really stems back to kind of your beliefs around birth and how you feel. So mm. um, and how you feel you're going to go into birth. Um, I mean, we've got huge, you know, influence that can happen around us as well, you know, with what we see in social media. I mean, that's massive. Like, mm. I have, you know, I'll ask questions in class, and I'll go, oh, where do you get the information from? And I've had people say, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook you know like that's become the new kind of information um as well as kind of friends and family's experience um and so if you're around people who kind of go oh my god you know oh just you wait you know x y and z happened to me and it was really horrific then that can make people really quite fearful around birth and people Um, love to tell you their horror stories as soon as they find out you're pregnant yeah yep yep they sure do and so um (laughs) It's yeah, and I kind of like to say that everyone's got a story, and you know, and I feel like birth is one of those things that people like to talk about it for you know forever. Mm. You know, like mums mm. will talk about it and grannies and and things. So that can for some people really um, stay like be quite a cornerstone to their kind of belief around mm. birth. And so, um, if they're going in to birth with quite a fearful expectation about what's going to happen and um, that can almost overshadow a bit of the pregnancy and, and potentially that joy you know of being pregnant and, mm. and making this big thing so yeah if mindset's a huge thing you know in birth you can do as much as you can you know like to try and control it but you've got a wee passenger that's going to determine a few things and you've got your pelvis and you know the physiology so you can control so much things but I think really kind of um having that mindset of going um 
you know that kind of affirmations that's my small child crying for me um, <laughs> um affirmations um of you know I've got this and surrounding yourself with people who will build you up um and not make as you said Georgia not kind of it sounds really bad but like feed on those insecurities so yeah um yeah so if you're really keen to you know have um a birth at like St George's then you know watch the tour about St George's have a look in the video see if you can you know put your hands out there and go hey did anyone have a birth at St George's you know how did you find it um even I say to women you know if someone wants to have a chat it's always at work I mean people like to say you know as soon as they find out you're pregnant they'll share everything to you and Mm. if it's something if you've got negative Nancy over there who will say oh my God, your life is over now and this happened to me and there was like purple mm. blood and it was, you know, all this, <laughs> then use your two excuses. My, my Either if you feel confident, you can say, hey, I just want, I'm being really aware of um, what I listen to and trying to just think of things which are going to build me up. Or two, which is literally the best thing ever, is I need to go to the toilet. You know, excuse <laughs> me, because every pregnant woman, yes, you know, yeah. your bladder goes down to the size of a walnut, you know, oh. so removing yourself from those situations can help too. Um yeah, so it's mindset with things. Mm. Yeah. Um, and remembering that birth is just one moment and you'll have, yeah. um, and as long as you feel informed about it, then um, you'll make the right choices for you at that time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so at some point, will you be just told by like your LMC if they think you need to be in the hospital for your birth? over so that's a really good over like yeah, a, oh, over a, yeah, a primary unit or a home birth. You'll just. Yeah, how does that come about? Yeah, so um, with certain things, the recommendation. So it's really important to be aware that in um, healthcare, including you know maternity care, is that anything that gets offered to you or done to you, which I really hate using that term, has to be informed with your informed consent. Mm. So you have to say yes, I'm happy for that to happen to me, or no, I'm not. Um, and so when it comes to um, you know, place of birth, there could be suggestions that this is maybe existing. So um, say you've got twins, you know, that is, there's, mm. a, there's more of a risk there because there's two babies and generally we have solo babies, you know, um, and so there's the concern that we might not be able to deliver the second baby if you're going for vaginal birth as easy. Um, and so the recommendation there would be to birth at, you know, at woman's hospital. Yeah. Um, now, if you wanted to birth at home, you'd have to find a midwife that would feel comfortable delivering uh, or helping yeah. you to birth at home as well. Okay. So okay. some midwives, I mean, in terms of the midwife skills, our skills are the same everywhere. We get the same training, we do the same emergency skills, all that type of stuff. You know, we use the same equipment. Mm. Um, but it does come down to that where it's comfortable for a midwife to birth. And hopefully, if you have, you know, researched your midwife, and I appreciate that that can be hard, with you know shortages of midwives and mm. um, but hopefully you'll find a midwife that you know if you're like I don't know what I want that you've got a midwife who's happy to offer you know to offer birth at many different places mm. or mm-hmm. you might be like no I really want to birth somewhere where I can have an epidural and um, so you're like okay I just want a midwife that I know will definitely deliver at Christchurch Women's because there is variance within midwives and um, some won't birth at Christchurch Women's as a as a first start off and some will so um Mm. yeah so in terms of that your midwife can guide you based on um so one picking a midwife that will do anything or yeah Um, and then if there's anything that comes up kind of in your medical history um or in your pregnancy which we um have a kind of a system of if we need to consult 
with obstetricians at the hospital. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's that's a conversation. And so that might be where a recommendation might be offered. And I say a recommendation. A recommendation is where they're giving them giving you the best advice they have on what they know if that makes sense but it also has to be combined with what your beliefs are um, and how you feel about things and for some people they're happy to go and do more research and come back and go this is actually what I want to do as long as you're like I say you're making that informed decision yeah and um, yeah and then so if we are wanting to come up with a bit of a birth plan yeah um when at what point of our pregnancy should we do this and how much detail do you think we should go into on it um so for your birth plan um I'll start with um as much detail as possible like like I um I just think that's a great option and not just necessarily having a birth plan for like option A so you know whatever option A is it's birthing at a primary unit and you're wanting your partner to catch the baby you know you're wanting to have lots of skin to skin you know if that was your you know with your LMC there that's great. That's your kind of plan A. My And I kind of usually say birth preferences rather than a plan. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because people like me who are like our A type personalities, which I think pretty much every teacher is, um, mm-hmm. you know, we like to have like, it has to go like this. And so birth preferences is kind of like, this is my number one option. But if that doesn't happen, then this could be my yeah. next option. Um, and so, yeah, I like to say, do your kind of your perfect, like in your mind, you've gone, yeah, this is how I'd like it to be. And then go, okay, what happens if, you know, my LMC isn't there or I can't birth at women's and that was my first choice. What happens if I need to birth at, you know, um, St. George's? Um, yeah, have those different ones there so that when it comes to birth and if the change happens, such as Christchurch Women's is not accepting low-risk women, that you're there going, that's okay, that's all right. My other option was this and your support crew are aware of it and your LMC is aware of it so that it's not in the middle of labour when we want all those lush hormones doing their thing for you to then go, oh my God, what do I need to do? Which can store labour and make you kind of get panicky. Um, So yeah, write down, I think, I really like it if, you know, have a look and go, what is really important to me? Like, what would be some of my crucial things for my birth to go well? And for me, my number one thing was that I wanted my husband there. I was like, without a doubt, anything else can happen, but I really need him there. I need my number one support person next to me to advocate Mm. for me. That was really important for me. And I remember quite, he was going to be off site somewhere where there wasn't great cell phone reception and he had to go in for this job and funnily enough that's when I went into labor when he was off-site and so I had to like ring yeah I had to like ring someone and they were like what's happening I was having contractions and my cat was next to me and I was starting to be like you not understand I'm in labor like get my husband and you know like it yeah and so it took like half an hour for him to ring me back and it was just I was like this is this I hadn't visualized this like I was like who's my next option it's not past the plan I thought my best friend (laughs) no and that's it so um but for others and I do a task with my couples and you know they write down kind of their options and then I go hey something's changed you need to do a, you need to change four of those you know for them to have that concept of what's high my values mm. and, and what isn't so for some people LMC yeah without a doubt others well actually that's okay if my LMC isn't here but I really want water to be available for me as pain relief so um, right, yeah okay. how sorry going back to your other part of the question George of um how soon I honestly think it's kind like maybe not you don't have to write things down per se but I think if you've got kind of an idea of certain things I think it's a good time to go actually I want to know more about this and I think that's where that early you know 
you know, that first 20 weeks is a really good way to kind of explore your own values about birth and what, um, and kind of especially I had women who I'd book who were like, right, I'm birthing at women's epidural, boom, that's it. And was like, can you take me? You know, and I was like, yep, sweet as. And then throughout that pregnancy, they did some reading and they were like, listen to this podcast or they did this mm. and they were like, actually, um, I'm actually thinking I want to stay at home for as long as possible. Mm. And actually, I might possibly want to go to St. George's, you know, and they had, and, and oh, I actually do want a water birth. Actually, I don't want to do an epidural. You know, they came to that decision themselves through reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's making sure you read from like reputable sources as well and not mm-hmm. just going type in because dr google i mean let's be honest dr google always does you know the worst case scenario of everything um yeah and talking to people who you trust will give you um a reasonable you know response and not kind of hollywood stuff up either Mm, yeah Um, yeah um and sometimes as well i don't mention this too much but you know talking with your partner as well um it is about you know mum and her experience but seeing how do they feel about things as well? Because if they are in a situation that they're not comfortable with, that energy, you can really feel it in a room. You can, you know, that a mum can sense it because they're kind of, mm. you can tell that the partner's on the eggshell. So, um, yeah, I think it's a really good time to have those discussions with um, who's with you too. You do hear mm. a lot of um, women saying, I would have loved to have birth at home for my first, but my partner wasn't on board, yeah. so I didn't. But then maybe for the second or third, then the partner was on board. So mm. I think, yeah, I think obviously it does come down to the mum, but you're right, it is actually really important to consider the partner mm. as well because they do, for most people, they do play a really massive role yeah. in the labouring and birth. So, yeah, like you said, worth having that conversation mm. early. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I really think, you know, even my own husband, I ask him questions all the time and, uh, I said, you know, he said it wasn't until he did like antenatal classes. Um, he said, then it kind of hit that he was, that we were having a baby because he just presumed oh. with my knowledge that I'd kind of like taken the lead and everything. Cause I was like, this is what I want, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, I hadn't actually kind of realized. And he was like, you got to like 34 weeks and we were doing antenatal classes. He's like, oh my God, we are having a baby. And he was like, oh, are we? yeah, we're good. Yep, yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And that's when he was like, actually got on board. He was like, okay, because he learned that you're going to be in deep labor and I might have to like ensure that stuff happens or yeah. advocate for things. Fortunately, we had a fab midwife who, you know, she you know was in tune and we knew what we wanted or knew what I wanted um mm-hmm. but yeah it can be a bit of a wake-up call sometimes um mm. that support people around them mm. oh definitely mm. um yeah. so <laughs> should we start with um cesarean sections can you tell mm-hmm. us about what um a section actually involves yeah so um these all have to happen at Christchurch Women's and yeah. that's because there's obstetricians there um and there's a couple of different ones so pretty much it's a surgery a major abdominal surgery that cuts through about six to seven layers um to extract or hate birth baby via Mm -hmm. abdominally um and you majority of the time you will be completely aware that it's happening they don't knock you out um that's very uncommon but it does happen very very small amount um and yeah and so surgery it doesn't take long it literally for them to get baby out it's like five minutes it's 
super quick. Um, and that's not rushing. That's just because it's really quick. Um, and yeah, and then the suturing is a time that takes the amount of time that can take about 45 minutes to an hour. So oh, wow. that's really brief. Um, and they go, you know, you'll go through to recovery um, and then hang out at women's either one or two nights and then either transfer to a primary unit um, or go home. Um, depending on what availability we have of postnatal rooms, mm. um, yeah, within um, Rolleston Unit and uh, Rangiora, because yeah, St George's doesn't take C sections. Um, yeah, um, okay, but the others do. Mm, yeah, yeah, you've got a birth within. You've got to transfer within sixteen hours. Oh, of that's birth. Right. and oh. so yeah that's why you can so there's like a way of getting around it of paying but um yeah under the publicly funded system and um, it isn't so yeah so there's it's broken down into so I really gave a super quick version there's about 12 people in the room you know they've all kind of got their role two obstetricians anesthetist anesthetic technician scrub nurses like theater people your LMC would be there um, for an, an elective. You, um, they're generally there. It's weird. It, it kind of in the notes, it's like you, um, you are invited to the booth. If that makes sense. So, um, if you want your LMC there, generally we are there. But you know, it's really handy just to say, hey, you are going to be there, aren't you? So they're like, yep, yeah, you want me there? Okay. Um, yeah, and call midwife and things. And if needed, if it's an emergency, then it's um, a neonatal team would be there too. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's kind of um, broken down with um, either an elective or an emergency. So an elective means it's pre-planned, much like any other thing, like an elective surgery elsewhere. Um, you'll generally go in around 38 weeks to kind of get a, have a chat with the obstetric team and the anaesthetic team. And that would be the team that you'll have. Your, they'll be doing your surgery, that team. Oh, okay. So whichever doctors within that team. Yeah. Um, and they'll have a chat with you and they will um, generally give you a date. So most elective C-sections are done in that 39-week um, mark. Um, and, yeah, you'll go in on a morning. It's runs. They run between Monday and fr- to Friday. No weekends, no public holidays. Um, and they're done in the morning, starting from 8 till about midday. Um, and they just have, like, a list of about four women um, who will have their C-section. Mm. And it's pretty calm. And we class that as, like, a Category 4 um, being elective. So there's no kind of um, compromise of mum or baby. And it's organised a time that's, yeah, okay for everybody if that makes sense um and yeah it's real easy going so mum is able to you know well not great but you know fasts the night before is able to you know um do a wax or a shave of the pubic area so um we like it to be clear kind of if you think kind of bikini line in terms of um sorry bikini like knickers like under there we like it to be kind of clear under there I always can never think like how low down because everyone's got different kind of length torsos um Mm. because of where the incision's going to be is kind of if you think about where your hips are it's going to be done about three centimeters below where your kind of high point of the hips are um and so they want that kind of area clear so obviously if you have an elective you can you know shave or wax that at home whereas for an emergency we do it um and yeah we do that in the room you know um quite quickly so an elective yeah is pretty um you know quite uh what's the word um quite cruisy quite you know um you can be you know really request your music and that's the other thing about that sorry going back to the birth plan question um you know 
what happens if you needed to have a c-section what would be really important there what could you bring Mm. from your you know your birth preferences from a b c into that c-section so if you're having an elective you know you can look at you know what music do I want playing do I want people talking to me during this or talking around me you know Mm. I think sometimes it can be real that degree of separation between like a vaginal birth in a birthing room compared to a c-section and it shouldn't be like that yeah it's a major surgery not at all you know minimizing that but I think sometimes we forget that actually this is a birth you know this you know these parents or this parents becoming a parent you know this is their child and it should Mm -hmm. be just as special and reverent as if it was in a birthing room or in a water birth you know um so yeah you know you've still kind of got you know still try and put your um uh, touch on a room that might not have been your first option or if it's an elective you've got a bit more time to be like this is what I want and if you you know when you go to that obstetric appointment at 38 weeks you can be like hey this is what I would like mm, you know yeah. um I would like it to be nice and quiet or please you know I've been in Caesar theaters and people have been chatting about their holidays or you know then my my food bag delivery or how many shifts they've been doing that week you know and you know you know now I can be like geez that was like not really you know great chat to have around this new couple who might be in a very majority of the time a very unfamiliar environment Mm, you know mm. um we've got quite used to seeing people with masks but for a lot of people that would be the first time they've been in rooms where people are fully masked and gowned with hair nets on and they're just looking at all these people going I don't know who you are so um yeah it's yeah yeah so elective make sure and even with an emergency um there's different degrees of an emergency so um we break them down into cat one two three and four so cat four is what we said for an elective so it's pretty cruisy in terms of there's no real compromise Mm. there's no um, concern about health of mum or baby a cat one is there's a serious like life-threatening kind of thing either to mum or baby Um, and then it goes yeah and then to two it's they're serious, but it's not necessarily life-threatening. Uh-huh. And then the third one is there's compromise. And so most C-sections, to be honest, are quite often a, a cat two or a cat three. I've mm-hmm. only, as an LMC and as a core midwife, been involved a handful really of the true cat ones, which is, it kind of feels like Hollywood, you know, it, it's pretty intense. So with any type of where it's not a planned C-section, um. So an emergency C-section, some of the things that can happen, and I think it's really important for people to be aware of, is that often we'll press it's a red button mm. in the room and that will send alarms off in the whole of the ward, which means that everybody on that ward who is a healthcare person, not just, you know, <laughs> another dad from another room, will run into that room and it's like, whoa, it's like a stamp. You can hear the stampede kind of coming down. And um, not all those people be in that room, but it just means that the LMC or the core midwife just needs help really quickly. Um, and for sometimes it's because the babies decide to grab hold of their cord and hold it tight and their heart rate's just dropped and it's taking a bit of time to recover. And so we're like, right, we might need hands if the mum's got an epidural on board and can't move to help roll mum or, you know, get into a different position. Um, and we know that if we press that emergency bell, people are going to come really quickly. Whereas right. if we press the assist button, it might not happen so quickly because it doesn't seem as acute. Does that make sense? Mm, so, yeah. um now, if it's a obviously before when we press that emergency button, we don't necessarily know it's going to be an emergency C-section. Like I say, we might move mum or it might be absolutely fine. 
so with an emergency C-section, generally there's been some indicators beforehand that may have indicated that an emergency C-section could be a possibility. So mm-hmm. you might have had a baby whose waters were meconium and they might have might have had monitoring on and it's shown the baby's heart rate's been a little bit um, not as reassuring as we want. Um, and something's happened to go, actually, we need to expedite this delivery. We need to have this baby born sooner rather than later. Mm. Um so with a cat one, it's super quick. Like it's literally pulling. Often mums have got epidurals on board. Um, not always, but generally because they've gone had an induction and things. So, um, you know, we're just literally pulling things out of the wall um, and l- l- wheeling mum straight into theatre. Really, it can be super quick. Um, <clears throat> when it's a um, and you're getting, you've got to give your consent. And I think it's quite amusing. We've got to give consent, mm. but mums are generally not in the place to give consent. You know, there's someone no. saying, you know, an obstetrician on one side who might be saying, you know, we need to do this and blah, blah, blah. And I need you, you know, this is the risk of this. And can we do this? And you're like, I need you to sign it. And the mum's having a contraction. Oh, God, she's like, there's 15 people in this room. And, you know, she's yeah. feeling like this is not what I imagined. Like, it's quite scary. Mm. Um, and then you've got a dad who's like, or, you know, a support person who's going, I have no idea what's going on either. Like, um, and then the anaesthetist on the other side going, have, you know, are you okay? If you have a sick injury, can we check your blood against our blood? And you've got a one in this many risk, 100,000 of nerve damage or, you know, this type of stuff. And it's, you know, it's, it's intense and scary. And then you're actually going, is my baby okay? You know, because mm-hmm. that's the thing. You're like, this is, you know, um, and often your LMC, They'll, you know, we'll talk when that emergency bell happens and we'll kind of hand over and go, this is what's going on. Um, and I know for me, I would kind of do that and then they'd almost take the lead on it so that I could go back to be with the woman and almost interpret what was going on and be like, hey, this is yeah. what's happening. I'm, we need to have this happening. Um, so I'm going to go and get a gown. Yeah, to be that communicator because mm. for me, it's like I know what they're doing. I know what's happening. I understand that language. But for, you know, majority of the population, they're like, this is what is going on you know they're using words that I don't know like this wasn't what we expected um and so that's what generally the LMCs will be doing and we'll go and um we'll, we'll generally pop um we'll you know maybe do a wee shave get you into a gown if you're not already in a gown because we want easy access it's like your general mm. hospital gowns where they've got the um ties at the top on the shoulders um yeah get dad his um his scrubs so he will be dressed up as well um and then, yeah, head down into theatre. Um, and if you've had an epidural on board already, we'll look, there'll be a catheter. A catheter will be in your bladder because obviously you can't wee when um, you've got good pain relief on board because you can't move. But if you haven't got one and we go into theatre, then, you know, your LMC will generally pop a catheter in. Um, and that's some of the things you could definitely make sure is on your C-section, you know, plan or preference would be LMC, you know, pops a catheter in because, you know, it's an intimate thing um, hmm. rather than just somebody doing it because oh, I'll just get it done um yeah so um and now what's great is that now dads will go in with mum to that theater room and so we'll either wheel you in with the you know on the bed or you'll walk down um and dad will be there for the whole thing so before it used to be he used to sit outside we'd get mum sorted medications in but now dad will sit um Mum will be lying down on um, the theatre kind of table and dad will be sat on a chair right by mum's shoulder um, and facing towards her rather than facing down the bed towards the C-section 
like mm, where it's going to happen okay. so that dad's right there um and a gown gets popped up um underneath kind of your boobs kind of about 40 centimeters high um the big lights um that will be shining down um and we don't have clear um drapes yet um but generally a baby comes out and we're listening and you know we're going to hear what's going on we look at the baby as well so please don't panic even in like a vaginal not emergency birth whether there's no noise we look at lots of things when a baby's born like their mm. color and whether they're grasping and um, you know we can tell a lot and sometimes with the c-section they're a bit like what just happened you know like I was I thought we were going down this way especially with an elective like oh, I've not primed I didn't know today was gonna be my birthday and they can be a little <laughs> bit quiet um, and then all of a sudden they just kind of start because they're like this is cold in here this is not a 37 degree room and um, so yeah so and if that happens you know then it's that you know case of um you know you can uh, talk about kind of having that delayed um cord clamping mm. so seeing if we can get as much blood across the baby as possible um and the standard at Christchurch Women's is two minutes but um I've had parents who've advocated for longer which has been really cool and um I know it challenged the obstetrician they were really he the dad said to me she was almost like having to hold her hands like on her so she didn't kind of do they were watching that clock but advocated and managed to get three and a half minutes which was fab like for them it was a real win you know right, like okay. to still have something that was really important for them um, and for their baby so you know that you know still advocating um at that point um and then yeah so if it's a, an emergency and and babies come out and does need a little bit of assistance that's where the neonatal team would be there to um give that assistance as needed mm-hmm. um and if needed, they would take baby down to NICU um, and the dad would go down to NICU with baby and the LMC would remain with the mum. But hopefully what we want is that baby to go straight from um, the obstetrician to the core midwife because she's all gowned up and completely sterile. And really what we want is to have that baby straight onto mum, yeah. straight for that skin to skin as quick as possible. We don't need to do a way straight away. I can listen to a baby on a mum's chest, easy as. Yeah. Um, you know, I can put the you know um labels that say that this baby belongs to this person um and try and like delay as much as possible because we really want that mum to have that skin to skin time um and really boost the oxytocin you know that um mum won't necessarily have the same amount because of having either an elective or an emergency um you know adrenaline's really taken a huge um been a huge overriding um, hormone for mum so we want to really promote as much of that connection as possible especially if the mum really wants to um you know go on and breastfeed and things so yeah I can't yeah and um, we like to put hats on but let's just you don't have to have a hat straight on mums will regulate baby's temperature we want mum to smell baby as much as possible to help with that boost of oxytocin Aww. so yeah oh you've Was explained it, it so yeah. well Bronwyn I think yeah. that's like for anyone going into birth just to um, have it all laid out like that is extremely helpful. Mm. So, yeah, thank you. That was great. It's okay. I was like trying to think, is there anything else I need to add to it? But, yeah, I think that was the most most of it. So, yeah. Oh, and yeah, sorry, one thing, great. though. One one thing is, um, you know, when those drugs they can give you so um, can make women or even the process of the baby being born can be quite uncomfortable. Like mums can kind of don't feel pain, oh, yeah. but they can kind of feel this movement. And often mums will feel quite sick. So if you do feel sick, don't kind of hold back 
let the anaesthetist know they can give you some anti-sickness medication real really quickly Mm, so that you can actually feel okay and not yet or if you feel anything just they're fab you know they're really slick with what they do um yeah so don't feel yeah and take all the drugs afterwards that's my other advice as well all the drugs take them all (laughs) all the drugs take them all yeah 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 yeah, too Good right. To <laughs> um, if we move on to spontaneous um, mm-hmm. vaginal birth now, yeah. which is that's probably the one we hear the most about, really. Um, yeah. What do we actually mean by spontaneous? Literally, that Mother Nature, your body has declared when that baby's going to be born. And I say your body, really, it's your baby that declares when the birth's going to happen. Um, mm. So you can be saying everything you want to get that child out, but the baby's the one who goes, actually, this is my birthday. So yeah, you've gone into labor, Aww. not needing any drugs, you haven't needed to do anything. And yeah, it's just happened. And that's what we class as spontaneous labor. Yeah. Ah, cool. yeah, pretty. Yeah. Um, super. So would. Um, stuff like a sweep if you go into labor after that would that still be spontaneous or is that an induction method I, I, I love how you said that Catherine and it's just like in my class where I say something and someone just picks up on like where is there there's a little bit of gray area so um yeah so <laughs> I mean really you're kind of looking at that intervention and um I'm not gonna lie I did it myself like it, you know I was yeah I yeah in my pregnancy I was Ben was quite um overdue and um I got to the point where I was like right I'll do anything I was like raspberry leaf tea I'll have like 12 cups of you a day um I'm like give me that stretch and sweep you know you get to that point some people don't some people obviously got a much stronger um more patient um than I was so you could I would you'd still class it as spontaneous labor um because we there is a it's kind of I say it's like your natural induction it is you're still trying to get labor going um, but we haven't given you any medications and started right. you on that kind of cascade that can happen um, yeah. of medications, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. if you had a stretch and sweep or you went for those massive walks around the Sumner steps and all that type of jazz, no, it was still spontaneous labour if you went into labour like that. <laughs> yeah. So No worries. <laughs> so it's, it isn't spontaneous then if you have um, a method of induction to help you along? No. So um, if you, there's a couple of things there, if you have an induction, so um, you have an induction because you are, you know, two weeks past your due date. So you still class as term, but you've decided that actually, I just want to get the show on the road. Or um, you have got gestational gestational diabetes and you've decided Mm. to go say, yep, I will have an induction. Um, Then you're going in, I kind of like to say cold. So you're going in with no kind of priming that's happened in the body. So your baby hasn't primed you for labor. Your baby has to release some hormones via the placenta that gives you a heads up. And so your body starts to do some changes. It gets you into labor. They don't know what it is like perfectly what their magic formula is and I'm sure if someone discovered that they would be very very rich yeah um but yeah when you're going for that induction if you're um yeah you're going in cold because your baby hasn't set that kind of process up yet Mm. and they might be close to doing it or they might be a wee way away so yeah it's a bit of a juggling game so yeah if you're going in for an induction um you'd go in during the week they do them at different times during the you know, they can do it literally any day and it depends on what's going on on the birthing suite the staffing and everything as well logistics really come into it um as well um you'll go in um and sometimes your lmc will meet you there but often the call staff will look after you to start off with mm. um and you might be given either an option of um 
or hopefully they've had a chat with you, but you may be given either a misoprostol, um, which is a gel that you kind of syringe, it's on a syringe and you um, give it to yourself um, orally and you give that to yourself, I want to say. Mm. Um, it's, I'll just double check my it's notes, like eight times kind of thing. Oh, oh did you have that? Yes. Yeah. How did you, can I ask, how yeah. did you find you it? Fine. Like just Yeah, it just yeah. was like water. Um, oh, it was mm. yeah every two hours and you had it eight times yes. so yeah over 16 hours you had yeah at eight times I think I got up to maybe like seven and then went into like contraction started so cool but yeah it was yeah, it's literally only like two mils so you just shot it in and mm-hmm. yeah and you were pretty yeah. over two weren't you um yeah 10 days mm. and this was just yeah this was with my second I must have been Oh, yeah 10 or 11 days over so yeah um yeah and then they'll give you a break so if nothing happens after 20 hours they'll mm. give you a few hours break and then you kind of get going again so um misoprostol so they changed it. it used to be kind of um they go through lots of different things like cervidal and prostaglandin always have stuff um and so my, the misoprostol has been seen as being um quite effective um quite effective and less yeah. invasive because the other ones required vaginal examinations where we'd you know pop stuff up there so that one is a lot more mum takes it and obviously it was you didn't find it too bad in terms of there was no taste it wasn't kind of no. offensive it's yeah so um yeah so it honestly just tasted like water it was yeah yeah no it was just that's just good like water. Mm. and they don't have yeah. to like prep medication your cervix disgusting. Mm. no what so we Oh, they don't have sorry. to prep your cervix for that one, do they? Like, you know, people talk about no, gel and even, stuff. I don't even think I had um, any checks or anything. It was just take this and good to go. Yeah. So <laughs> mm, pretty much. often to put an induction referral form, it was a case of having to do what we call a bishop score. So do a vaginal examination and score a woman's cervix. But honestly, that has to be done one, as we again, consent. Um, and, you know, if you've got mm. someone who is having their first baby, um, then you know you can kind of and they're having an induction maybe for gestational diabetes so we know that majority of babies are born at that 41 weeks onwards like that majority then we're not going to be there's no point really doing a VE for that mum because she's probably it's better off just getting her onto the medications and going rather than Mm. kind of doing a VE and then knowing that in a few more hours we're going to have to do another one um so for some people it's just like Mm. yeah let's just we're going to give you a medication we'll just kind of start start on that process um so, yeah, yeah, so now that's... that you say that, I think I had an um, examination when I first got there before mm. they gave me any. Yeah, now that you say that, I think that did happen actually. Because sometimes with um, because with second time pregnancies, third, fourth, you know, onwards, your cervix never fully closes again. So mm. your first, you know, because it's been open, so it never shuts. Pro- you know, pro- that sounds weird. Properly, there's no harm or anything. But sometimes what they'll find is that with multiple or second subsequent pregnancies, that they sometimes will just break waters, break your waters, and they'll be like, "Oh, that being that will get kind of things going." So, yeah. um, that could also have been a reason for you as well to have said we might just do a VE and see what yeah. what we what we find mm. as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, you've got misoprostol, which is what um, Georgia had. So the syringe of medication, and then the other option is a Foley's catheter. Um, and so that's much like a, a catheter that you would have um, for your bladder if you need one in your bladder. And it goes up, pops into the cervix, inflates the balloon. Um, and what it does there is it's called a mechanical induction. So the idea there is that balloon aggravates rubs on the cervix to help it to release some prostaglandins and do some softening. The idea there is that then contractions will start going and will start happening. Right. And I so, think they said to um, me if I, um, you get like two days worth of the 
um, misoprostol. Yes. And mm-hmm. if it hasn't worked after two days, then they were going to go on to the balloon, the balloon, the Foley's. Yeah, it's a long time. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, and that's and that's one of the things I'd say definitely take some entertainment with you if you're going in for an induction because yes. it can be some time. And those rooms are pretty much windowless. There's one room that has windows, and the rest of them are like little boxes. Yeah, we were lucky to have a window, but it was COVID, so we literally weren't allowed to leave our room. Um, And we went in, you know, obviously away from Harry because it was for Flo, and we thought we could be here for three days and not be allowed to leave this room. Um, Luckily, we didn't have to, but, yeah, we had to be super, super Mm. prepared. It's quite intense. You're like everything. You're like, bring <laughs> multiple suitcases. Oh. Yeah, but I was also like, oh, my God, a day without my child. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I can come in earlier. Like. Yeah. yeah. Oh, can, you, can, oh. can you drag this out a bit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can we just pretend I don't need anything so I can get some sleep and so I can be fully yeah, just prepared? Twelve hours before we actually start anything. And yeah. what's the like yeah. cut off then for um when you have to be induced or like that's a really common question. There isn't anything. So um oh. you can decline for as long as you want. Um wow. what what we as a midwife, so we obviously are under our first primary concern is the woman and making sure everything's okay. And then we kind of tread this line of knowing where we might need to do a consultation and I could say so this happened to me so I went past 14 days past my due date um, and I felt happy with the knowledge I had and you know and everything that you know my knowledge of as a midwife my knowledge as what was going on and feeling really well my knowledge that my mother always went really late with her pregnancies and we often right. we, we follow what we our mothers had so I was like I'm fine everything's okay and so I declined an induction but part of the responsibility of the midwife sometimes is to go we have to document that so it might be so for my midwife it was like okay Bronwyn so what we'll do is I'll ring and have a chat with them and so I will tell them that you're declining and so it was literally a phone call to the hospital to talk to the obstetrician and go I've got a woman here and she's making an informed decision that she's declining an induction Um, and it was really interesting I knew who that obstetrician was um, I could hear hear them because it was at home and my midwife was seeing me at home because I was we did a stretch and sweep and things and um, and it was really interesting the language they used on that phone call like I could hear the stuff that was getting said like oh does she know the risk of stillbirth and you know all this stuff yeah. and I was like wow like if I had wasn't coming from an informed decision feeling really happy with my baby's movements and how I felt and how I was going it would be terrifying like listening mm. to, you know having that so that was the midwife's responsibility to make sure that um, that I, as the as the client, had had all bases covered, and that I was making that thing. It protects the midwife, mm. also protects you to make sure that everything's been done properly too. So there's no legal kind of. Often people go, "Is it when does it when's it illegal?" There is no point. Um, it just comes down to when mum kind of is okay and with it. And it, to be honest, now with Christchurch Women's, we they will they you know can get booked into induction quite early. Um, but the, the idea is that because we know so many babies are born, you know, and that 41 week is that people will go into labor spontaneously because we know it's better for mum and baby than going down that induction path really early. And mm. um, you often find mums who, you know, like you did, Georgia, you know, 10 days past due date, you probably were going to go into labor, you know, like quite mm. soon, you know, like naturally. And so 
we kind of say you needed just a sniff or a little push, you know, to kind of just yeah. prime and get, <clears throat> sorry, my voice going croaky, um, mm. to, you know, to get yourself into labor. Whereas, mm. you know, you have someone who might be 38 weeks and having that induction, if their baby was, you know, thinking its birthday was going to be near that 41 week mark, that induction process can be a lot longer, you know, and mm. a lot harder um, too. So it is, it's very much making an informed decision um, and, you know, and I always like to say, ask why, you know, if you're having a conversation and you've been told to have, you know, I think, you know, I'm really thinking you need to have that induction go, well, why be like a two year old, like be like a, because if you <laughs> don't know why, and you don't know the risks or the benefits, um, or the impact for your, the rest of that birth or breastfeeding or the journey or for future pregnancies, then you can't really say you've given your full informed consent. Um, and that's our job as professionals, as health professionals, to go, if they don't know the answer to it, to then go and find and go, this is where it is, so that everyone feels they're on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And that mum then is actually, one of my dads used it the other day. He was like, so captain of the ship. And I was like, absolutely. The mum needs to be captain of that ship. She needs to be like, okay, I'm going off this best information combined with my own beliefs and my information. And this is what we're doing. This is the course. Mum should not be the person scrubbing, you know, down the galleys, you know, and just going, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do whatever you say. Because we know that for mums who felt like they were just along for the ride, that then impacts their postnatal, you know, mental health, their bonding, you know their whole experience um and that is a completely different podcast in its own right but it you know it's kind of yeah I'm really um and I said it right at the beginning what is right for you will not be the same for somebody else um and so you'll do it based on your own information to make that best choice Mm. um yeah whatever it is Mm. so yeah I think it's nice to know that it's okay to ask the question as well oh definitely yeah lastly we just wanted to ask you about instrumental deliveries yeah. And yeah, I know that there can be a lot of fear around these. I think that's something definitely as a first time mum, you're made to think, you know, forceps, the idea of that can be quite scary. So we just wanted to ask, yeah, should we be worried if this is something that's suggested dur- during our labour and what are the different options? Yeah, so um, it's, yeah, and it's a common concern um, to have an assisted birth. So yeah, you're right, there's either forceps, Bontus or Kiwi Cup, um, and the obstetrician does these, so a midwife doesn't use these instruments, um, and they're all done to assist. So it's not a case of mum, you know, it's not an easy way out, I think is really important to know. It's, you know, it's hard because you're still pushing and birthing your baby, Mm. but with the assistance of someone trying to guide and navigate helping that, you know, baby's head be born. Um, And you'll always you know, the obstetrician who does it will use the tool that they think is best for helping that birth to happen. Um, And lots of the majority of them will happen in the birthing room. Sometimes they'll happen um, in theatre and it's kind of classed as a trial of whatever instrument they've decided to use. Um, And that's when they may be not 100% certain whether a baby will be able to be born vaginally. Um, But they will only, um, so they'll only do it in the room if they feel pretty confident baby's going to be born that way. Um, 
the more you're um, you're more likely to need to have an assisted birth if you've had an epidural and that's just purely because of movement and things so with an epidural you obviously can't move your body the same and and so you can't feel the same whereas women who haven't got an epidural on board they'll often kind of just instinctively move because they can feel that baby coming down so you know they can put their legs up or go into hands and knees or whatever kind of feels so um with an assisted birth if you've got an epidural on board then um you'll have a midwife touching your tummy to feel when those contractions are happening and you'll be directed to push and that's when the obstetrician will pull at the same time as you're pushing and they'll only do three pulls to birth a baby vaginally um, and then they'll they would change to a c-section but the idea would be if they weren't 100% confident that's where they'd be doing it in theater so that it could be very quickly you know put the end of the bed up and then change to having um, a caesar um, I think um, the biggest thing to be aware of with the forceps, which probably isn't going to help anyone feeling less stressed about them, is that um, women have to have an episiotomy with a forceps delivery. And that is often quite feels quite stressful. So that's a cut in the perineum. Um, and that's because yeah. the instruments go either side of baby's head rather than on the back of baby's head. So it needs to be wider for those instruments. Um, and you know with that obviously that would then require being stitched up or sutured afterwards and the obstetrician would do that so mm-hmm. um there's definitely I think there's that kind of fear because um uh in terms of that you know something being done to mum if that makes sense yeah. you know during that kind of process um yeah like I say you know they'll be talking to you through it and you know and yet again if you know there's that potential writings on the wall so if you've been pushing for longer than two hours actively pushing then that could be something that's suggested um or if mum's getting really you know is pushing really hard um but they're actually but they're gradually getting less effective because mum's absolutely getting exhausted it could be something that's offered um to help birth the baby so I think it's being you know yet again it comes down to communication you know and being okay so why is this happening what do you suggest is have we got a, you know is an opportunity to try something else what else could you suggest if it's something that you're really like I don't know what was happening to me you know is there any other suggestions that we can do if you are haven't got the epidural on board it might be a case of actually um changing position um, and yeah. if you've got an epidural on board it might be either popping pillows between your legs on your side or using a peanut ball which are now up at Christchurch Women's to help open that area up um you know so you know it's I think it's communication with things um and if you know if it's that much of an emergency then it would become a cesarean section um and I think that's important to kind of be aware of so um there's it's not a really high stat so in Christchurch uh our stats for that about 17 percent of mums would have assisted delivery so it's not huge so it's not massive um we I didn't say earlier we've got a quite a high cesarean section rate in New Zealand we've got a high one in Christchurch so um about 31 percent of women will have a c-section so um you know 69 percent vaginal and of those 69 percent 17% if you like stats because I love stats um Mm -hmm. 17% of them will have assisted so you know it's not not everybody's having them okay so um that's something to kind of just be aware of as well Yeah. yeah and why what would the difference be between like why would they use forceps or why would they use the vontus what's the difference there yeah so um forceps it one it will come down to the skill of the obstetrician and which one they feel the best 
you know to use as well forceps can be okay. used um effectively when the baby's head so the baby's head to be delivered assisted has to go past the narrowest point of the bones so if the baby's mm-hmm. head doesn't get past that it's called the ischial spine so if the baby's head does not get past that point then the baby would have to be born vaginal uh, sorry cesarean section wise they couldn't okay. there's no way it's coming down we can't get instruments past bones um but if the baby's head past those bones that narrow point and it's still quite high sometimes because faucet blades are so long and go around the baby's head they can be used to bring a, what we call a high head down sometimes and can be more effective than doing a von Tuss or a kiwi cup right so faucet blades go either side i kind of like to say they're like salad servers you know like they go across <laughs> lock over and then they go across either side of the baby's head generally kind of either side kind of the temple um across and then if a von Tuss and a kiwi cup go on the back of the baby's head kind of at the top part um of the skull um and they either applied through suction with the von Tuss with the machine or the kiwi cup that kind of goes on and twists on to create that pressure um, okay. and so they're often used um if baby's head's coming down but baby's head's coming a bit of an angle you know they're not coming like zoom, nice and streamlined and they might be trying to get like the side of the head out rather than that back peak out and so yeah. sometimes they'll get popped on and then they do a, a pull while the mum pushes and they just get the baby back into kind of a streamlined position so that mum can then birth baby so um yeah it's yeah so that's kind of the difference of what they'd be used but the kiwi cup and vontus you wouldn't have a um a a episiotomy for it would be just the forceps yeah and Mm. speaking of episiotomies i think that's something again pregnant with your first something that you really worry about isn't it it's the thought of it is terrifying but i had one with my first and um ah yeah it on like it honestly was it was fine obviously it's not the best nicest thing in the world to have but yeah, I don't know. I guess at the end of the day, you do just want your baby to be out and your baby to be safe. So it's amazing what your body or what you can be happy with at that point, isn't it? And what, what yeah. can feel okay. Yeah. It's, um, and they heal really, you know, stuff gets hit. hit. Oh. The um, perineal area heals really well because it's so vascular. Um, so yeah, did you find that for yourself? Yeah. Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have, um, forceps but yeah still had the episiotomy but it healed so quickly I could not believe it it was yeah it was amazing it's um yeah and you know mother nature does lots of things to help kind of numb the area and things they give you some local Mm. anesthetic so you don't actually feel that kind of sensation at all um it's just something as a midwife I'm like oh I don't like doing it only I have to do them like twice and I'm like oh I just it just goes against like what I want to do you know it's um yeah but they do they they heal well yeah we just have one last question for you Bronwyn and it's something we Mm. like to ask all my guests um especially those that are mums. So what yeah. is one parenting item that you couldn't live without? Oh, um, honestly, a baby wrap, like wearing yeah. my baby. That was, oh, hands down the best item. And I was a bit like, I don't need one. My sister-in-law sent her down and it is, it was God, it was good. Having my hands free, like being able to go to places Key. like actually I hate germs you know like as teachers were like just yeah. get away from me like with children like there's germs everywhere yeah. um, and so 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 I mean this does sound horrible children everyone carries germs but you know what it's like being in a classroom like washing hands and yeah. oh um but having baby in a wrap on you it's like personal bubble and people are less likely to kind of 
go up to you compared to like a pram. So I loved it. And like being able to just go, you know, supermarket, go for a walk. Um, and I really enjoyed it um, for just that bonding kind of moment as well. And I know that my husband was the same. He really enjoyed wearing Ben. It was just a, yeah, you know, you can have that skin to skin and yeah. yeah, it was super easy and it washes really, you know, you can just, you know, baby bomb, just stick it in the washing machine, dries really quick. So yeah, a baby wrap. Nice. Yeah, we love it. We love a baby mm. wrap. So we can definitely mm. agree with that one. Oh, thank you so much for um, giving your time today, Bronwyn. It was extremely informative and, yeah, I think extremely useful for people who are pregnant at the moment and thinking about their different options for birth. So we really, really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me.